to the King's Insider Podcast on csncalifornia.com. Introducing your host, Sacramento King's Insider, James Ham. Welcome to the CSN King's Insider Podcast. I am James Ham. Joining me as always, Mr. Aaron Bruski of hoop-ball.com. AB, what's going on? I'm getting ready to go Tahoe, and so I'm a very happy man. You're going to go hide out in Tahoe and hope that uh, that that you find some sort of like ice block there that, that isn't Sacramento, that's just festering with heat. I thought you were going to say Pokemon, and uh, no, <laughs> not, not doing the Pokemon. And I believe the uh, American, uh, whatchamacallit, Century Tournament is up there, which if you are... If you haven't done it, it's a great event. If you want to go just mingle with sports people, there's uh, I mean, they're just right out there in the casinos and you could strike up a conversation if that's your thing. And uh, but no, we're not actually even doing that. We're just getting up into the mountains at some resort and uh, relaxing. Nice. Actually, I've done that tournament quite a few times. Um, it, it falls on my anniversary weekend every year. One year I went up and I covered Jimmer, though, during the lockout. And hung out with Jimmer and his family for two days. It is one of the funnest events. You go out at night, and I know one night I sat in a restaurant, and uh, Joe Theismann sat. His chair was butted up against the back of my chair. So he, him and Rich Eisen and a bunch of other guys were at one table, look over, and uh, Dan Marino and Ben Roethlisberger were having dinner like a couple of feet away. And then you go down into the, the pit down below, and you literally see the greatest of almost every single sport in our generation. So Jerry Rice is there. You see the greatest receiver. You see Emmett Smith, who has the most rushing yards. I'm not calling him the greatest running back. But um, Mario Lemieux, Pete Sampras, uh, Charles Barkley, Michael Jordan. I mean, everyone goes to that tournament. It's so much fun. It's such a great event. So I highly recommend it. I, I don't know. Are you guys actually going to the tournament? No, no, we're going to stay completely away from that entire strip. We might go down to the beach and um, catch some sun. But uh, other than that, it's resort living for us. Nice. Very nice. Well, I live on the lake, so it's resort living for James at all times, Aaron. <laughs> Actually, he's, he's telling the truth. He sits on a pontoon boat every day. That's right. Except for people, I have no AC. I have no AC. My AC unit died three weeks ago. I've gone three, already like two major heat waves without it. Uh, my ductwork in my attic was crushed. I got up there today and in like a 150 degree oven, me and a buddy went up and, and replaced all of the ductwork in the attic. Uh, and I'm waiting for a home warranty to replace my, uh, my air conditioning unit, which could take anywhere from two to four weeks. That Again, sounds terrible, man. In addition to what I'm already struggling with. So I could be like six, seven weeks without AC during this this summer heat. All right, so uh, I guess we could talk about uh, no AC with the Sacramento Kings. They were as cold as ice. They were absolutely atrocious in Las Vegas Summer League. They went 0-5. My goodness, Aaron, they looked... They had a not okay. So the rookies, we'll talk about those those guys. But the guys that they brought with them, it's like holy cow! Anytime you went to the the bench with a certain group, it was the worst basketball I've seen in so long. Yeah, it's hard to watch. Summer league is just terrible basketball, and um, you can't react to it. Like 
there's like the first week of the season hot takes that I'm sure cold takes exposed just gathers up in mass. But summer league takes are hilarious. Like you're going to call this guy a star. You're going to call him a bust based on this particular basketball situation is just hilarious to me. So, but yeah, it's not pretty. And I know that there's a lot of talk about Papa Giannis, Papa Giannis, Yorgos, Giannis, yeah, uh, and all the other players. So uh, let's, I, I'm, I'm excited to talk about these guys, actually. We're I think gonna, that there's, there's a lot to that. Let's dig in. Let's dig in. we got Summer League to talk about. Okay, so <laughs> uh, disclaimer, disclaimer. Never too high, never too low, people. This is Summer League. Summer League, you get a three-day mini camp to learn an offense and a defense. Um, and, and then it's like, all right, go out there and play. And some teams brought... You know, veterans, uh, other people, other teams brought nobody. Um, I, before we get to the rookies, I'm going to start out and say Willie Cauley-Stein did not look good at all, at all in Summer League. You come to Summer League as a sophomore and you're a lottery pick, you're supposed to come in and dominate. And I can get a little bit of the fact that Willie was playing a different style of basketball but he looks like he is lost. Holy cow! What were your thoughts? I I'm all right with Willie. I, I you know you kind of after a year get a feel for what Willie's all about. I think that he comes in and now like the expectations have changed. He's talked, you know, and everybody's talked to kind of a bigger game about what he does offensively, and now he gets the chance to do it, and it's the first time he's really getting a chance to do it. And you know, there's there's a learning curve there, so. He has looked really, really bad. And as far as his um, conditioning goes, I think that he's similarly to last year come in at not as optimal um, cardiovascular condition, though I think he's probably put on five to ten pounds, the proverbial five to ten, but actually for real, uh, pounds of muscle. Yeah. And and what I want um, folks to kind of maybe keep in the back of their head as we evaluate him going forward is Rudy Gobert came into the league and had this incredible uh, leaping and and height combination and reach combination and came onto the scene just like gangbusters. And then he came back last off season, very muscular and it did impact his defense. So you lose a little something by gaining the muscle and losing the mobility. And I, you know, if I'm a Willie Cauley Stein, uh, you know, backer or, you know, whatever have you, I would hope that that doesn't happen to him. Yeah, I know when Rudy was a rookie, when he was actually, when he was coming through for, for pre-draft, I remember he uh, he had clearly been working on his guns and, and his, uh, his pecs, and that was it. So he showed up literally walking on, like, pencil legs. He, he had, he was... It got worse last year, too. He was so skinny in his lower half, but then he, like... He took his shirt off and he like laid back and it was like, hey, dude, this isn't like, hey, Fabio, like put it away. <laughs> You're like, uh, I go ahead and look like that. But, you know, I can come over and, and back you down in the post because you have no legs at all. I mean, I'll just get down low and, and drive you right out of the box and you'll be like, what just happened? A beat writer wearing Bruno Molly's just put me into the under the basket and shoved me <laughs> like that's what would happen because that dude had absolutely no body uh no lower body at all and it, i think it's still an issue but i think that's what we're seeing with with uh willie he's been working out a ton he's been here in sacramento most of the summer 
and he's been working out, uh, you can tell, upper body. He has an ability to stack on weight very quickly. We saw it last year in pre-draft. But he, again, it looked like he had not done cardio. And, yeah, you know. and I, I don't. I don't think it's. In, I don't. I don't look at what he's done so far physically and, and worry about. When I saw Rudy last year, I had some concerns that he was too top heavy. I don't think that's the case with Willie. No, um, he, no, no, he no, would no. need. He needs another. If he does it again next year, that's when I think the concern would come in. Well, and I think Willie has to get used to playing along. He's used to playing alongside Demarcus Cousins. He's not used to playing alongside a bunch of guys who realistically had no idea what they're doing. I mean, Papi Giannis has, as it is, he has no idea what he's doing at all. And the rest yeah, of the, the crew. Yeah, Papa Giannis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's switch Are we going to talk about the elephant in the room or what? <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I mean, realistically, he's an elephant. I mean, that dude is huge. He's absolutely tremendous in size. I mean, he's he's a giant. But, oh, number one, number one, let's just get it out of the way. He's way out of shape. He, he's not in playing shape, and he's kind of a doughboy. That's what it looks like at, for right now. Is that what you? I mean, assess. Yeah, Let's go, yeah. Aileen voice on and assess his body. What do you? What do you got for me? I think he's gonna constantly have to work on his weight for not, and that's really tough. We're talking about a 19 year old kid. Every player in the NBA comes in at their lightest and their most athletic, and then it goes downhill from there. It might go up in maybe two to three years, you know, in terms of strength. And they, yeah, they might have a, a an upward curve in their athleticism or overall physical ability, but. You know, maybe even a player like LeBron can keep climbing up into the year six and seven. Anyway, he's going to have a constant battle with his weight because he's not going to be able to be quick enough to cover anything on defense if he stays at the weight that he's at. So that's like that's number one, two, three, four, and five for him. I think the skills are going to be there. Um, he's going to have to get better in, in the awareness uh, part of the game, but. I almost I think what we've seen from him changes the discussion on Costa Kufos because I don't think you can get rid of Costa Kufos right now unless you have a backup big solution in place or have an idea of how you're going to get one in place down the road because I don't think you can put him on an NBA court anytime. I mean, he'd have to have really he'd have to have big successful couple of months here in the weight loss department and in the learning of the game when I mean, we're expecting a just turn 19 years old we're expecting a 19 year old kid to to really learn fast faster than a lot of other 19 year olds if we're expecting him to come in and be a backup big uh right now so i, I think I that agree. it changes the discussion on costa kufos i think it completely changes the discussion on costa kufos and people are like well we he's an asset well let's be honest there are a lot of bigs who have got paid and then you know guys like jordan hill started taking much less money guys like uh Zaza to join the the Warriors took a lot less money. The bigs, I don't know that that Costa has the value that we thought he would at this point, and so there's it, there's no harm in holding on to Costa for one more year because he has two more years after that, and he's still super young, and he's still on a budget contract, and so keeping him for one more year and and letting uh, Papianis grow into his body. Now, look, I I know this sounds really strange. But he's also a 19-year-old kid who's seven foot two, who has the look of a kid who may have already he he's bulking up because he looks like he might actually grow a little bit again. I, I don't know if that's possible, but 
I know most people don't stop growing until they're, you know, 2021. He has the potential to get a little bit bigger and that the sort of the soft look to him, he doesn't really have like a muscular man body yet. He needs to really work hard. And I, watching him, like meeting him, I thought, oh man, this kid has like adult muscle all over. Watching him on the court, I was like, oh, wait a sec. And dude, you can't, this is, Charles Barkley broke all the rules and and changed all the game. You are no longer allowed to get your giant behind into someone and back them down for eight seconds and, and then go score over the top of them. That's not the NBA game anymore. And so he has a lot of work to do on just his his NBA readiness, his NBA awareness, uh, his basketball IQ. I, I think he's got great hands, although he gets the ball stripped from him very easily. Same we could say about Skull, but we'll get to him in a minute. Uh, and he's he's also got uh, an ability to rebound. I think he can come in instantly and equal what you know the Kings were getting off of their bench the reserves as as a rebounder um I, I think even in like 14 15 minutes a night he's going to average six or seven boards he's got a a huge body and a knack for flying to the rim and he's actually pretty agile which i was surprised and he knows how to body he throws his his body around in the paint when he's going for rebounds so while he didn't have the quick twitch muscle that i saw that i would have liked to have seen he still knows what he's doing. He knows where to go on the, on the glass. So those are some positives, but he wasn't really the shop locker that we we would hope for. Uh, his post moves took way too long. He has really poor decision-making with some of his shot selection and, and what he's throwing up there. So I think people, again, it's summer league. He's get, he know We now know what he needs to work on, right? He has to work on his core. He has to work on his lower body. He's got to work on his timing. He's got to work on... but. He's got time. What's happened with this, and one thing to keep in mind about Summer League, you know, look at a guy like Chris Dunn. Everybody's seeing what kind of explosion that he has getting past guys in Summer League. What you see in Summer League is is not going to be indicative of what you see in the pros, and that's obvious. What I mean by that is if somebody's showing quickness and deficiencies in that area right now, it's only going to get more pronounced. And what we're seeing is, yeah, he's making some good rotations, and he's he's not completely lost on defense, but – get NBA players on the floor, and now those deficiencies become major deficiencies and make him unplayable. Looking forward, what I think this summer league has shown us is the, the amount of boxes that he has to check in order to justify his number 13 selection has just grown. You know, We didn't know a lot about the guy coming in, and maybe we thought, or not, I don't want to say we because not everybody's on that, that boat, and neither am I, but the questions that folks had coming into the league about him it might have been a list that was shorter. Now it's a list that's a little bit longer and he's going to have August and September to address those. And if we get into this upcoming season and he's basically redshirted, then there will be a lot of pressure on him the following season to start providing some of that ROI and big men do take longer to develop. So they take a good two to three years the question is, Is can there be patience and will the ROI for that pick actually come? And it's going to be a long time before we know the answer to that. Well, I think it might not be as long as we think, though, because while he is the the number 13 pick, this was a horrible draft. And, and again, we can argue this down the road. We're going to have to wait and see how this draft works out. Like, 
I, I really liked who was it that uh, went number twelve? Is Torian Prince? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I really liked him. If he would have fallen to the Kings, I would have had a tough time seeing the Kings not going that direction. Oh yeah, that would have been mean, great for them. He, he's absolutely got like Damari Carroll written all over him. You know, I, I really, you know, uh, Jay Crowder. That's the type of player he is. He's just like a, he can be a beast. Um, but realistically, the Kings didn't just get him for the number nine pick or what is it, the number. Is that where they were, number nine? Uh, number eight. Number they eight, got. Number eight. They got. Yeah. They got Scal, and now Scal could save this draft for the Kings. Well, and they got Bogdanovich. And, and you got Bog. Yeah, exactly. And Bogdanovich and, has been absolutely killing it, killing it in Olympic qualifying. Holy cow, he's good. It's so. it's fun to, but the the question will be is what do you do with Marquise Chris uh, and. I'm looking at Marquise Chris, and I'm seeing whatever the flaws are. I, I, I could go through them, but I won't. His um, he looks like a good three four, and you wonder would would he have been the the good Rudy Gay replacement? And so you, you just got to kind of watch and see how that plays out. He'll need to learn how to dribble better. I don't. He's more four than he's three, but um, with the way that the game is moving, he, may, he becomes a really unique four. And and he's had a decent summer league. So well, we'll watch. We'll watch Marquise Chris. And see how he does, and then watch Scal. I mean, Scal really looks like a good pick. That's wow. that to me is something that not only could you could have looked at Scal, but there's a couple other players. In fact, I think this draft there will be more discussion about GMs passing players than in other drafts. There's so many guys that fell that are going to be better than the guys that were taken before them. Um, so that's my prediction for this draft. But like Bryce Johnson, I think is going to make an impact in the NBA. Similar type of player as Scal, and Scal is just really turned heads. So he's I unique. Think... He is unique in his his play style, his ability. Again, super super weak right now. He really really has to learn. Same thing. You know what? It's like at Kentucky. Could they teach people how to grab a ball and hold on to it and not have the ball just slapped out of their hands? I mean, again, I, I could go on all day about my complaints about John Calipari and what he does there at Kentucky. I'm just so not impressed with everything he does after he gets the greatest five players in high school every single year. I, you know, I know he wins, but my goodness, his players come to the league so ill-prepared and so much more talented than what you ever imagine. They, he just puts them in a box and doesn't let them do anything. And you saw it with, we're you know we saw it with Cousins, we've seen it with Carl Anthony Towns, we've seen it with Anthony Davis. We're we're seeing it with Scal as well. Holy cow, this kid has so much skill, but the basics of the game are not taught at all. And not only that, no no work on the body at all. That he doesn't. I mean, Willie's told us, oh, I never worked out in the weight room. Not even first time I ever worked out for a weight room in a weight room was pre draft. And I'm like, are you kidding me? But Scal, we're seeing the same exact thing. Can't hold on to a ball down low. Uh, guards take it away from him. Uh, when he goes up for a rebound, he can grab a great rebound, and then people just run by and snag it from him. Those are things that they have to. He has to work on. It's you know he's in the business of getting people drafted. He's not in the business of winning NCAA titles or even really developing these guys. I'm sure their their program's fine. It's you know it meets that kind of top 10 program uh, developmental you know, process they go through, but it's not a focus of his. He's just getting these guys into the NBA 
And that's what you see why why that team perennially underperforms and the players do come in, you know, boxed in. There's a lot of guys on that team that need minutes. Scout played what, seven minutes a game? I, I mean He didn't play much. He didn't play it's, much. It's it's good for the Kings because he fell and he's gonna save Vlade on that trade. And so will Bogdanovich if Papadianis doesn't work out. So, you know, that's a very inter- interesting dynamic because then you the next step of the argument is well, okay, great, you hit on your the, the back end of those picks, but what could you have done with 13, Wade Baldwin, et cetera, ad nausea? Um, so there will be a lot of things to watch for down the road, but uh, he's getting saved right now because of the back end of that trade. Yeah, well, I, I mean, we're going to have to wait and see how it all pans out. Every trade needs to have right two now, or three or say. four years, and, and we'll see. Again, just to, you know the Calipari thing, I, just, I, I think he, he owes more. I think he owes more to his players, and that's I, I can still be angry about what happens when players come through his, his school and get to the league. I, I just don't get it. So, so anyway, I, I'll move past it. But with with Scal, let's let's get to the positives. Number one, I thought uh, you know I always look at players and I'm like, who do they look like? Who do they look like? And is there anyone that jumps out that for you that he reminded you of? Yeah, well, he reminds me of. Like a, um, a Brandon Wright with a jump shot is what he reminds me of. Just that long sort of um, kind of. He, I think he still has 20 pounds on Brandon, uh, uh, Brandon Wright. <laughs> Wright you think he's, like, you think uh, he's heavier than Brandon Wright? Yeah, I think, I don't, I, I think Wright, Wright is a stick and he's always been a stick. And I think right stick. now, <laughs> right now, Wright right now is heavier than Scal if I had to bet. But, maybe, maybe, but I mean, again, we're talking about like after seven years in the league. I mean, it's, but but he's got the jumper. So and Brandon Wright never had that. So that to me is a player that he profiles like. Um, there's not a lot of players like this in the league, though. But they are turning into, you know, seven foot, six foot, ten lateral quickness guys. Where you know it used to be like Kevin Durant. Might have been, you know, one of the few players with that body type. Um, and there are definitely examples in history, but it just seems like now there's more. I don't know. That could just be the way people are growing. Or maybe that's what people are developing these guys into, knowing that it's a pick and roll league. And at four and five, you've got to be able to stretch the floor and also be quick. I don't know if there's anything to either points of view, but those are the guys that he reminds me of. The guy that he really, really reminds me of is young Richard Lewis. That's who he looks mm. like to me. Like I see his his movement, his his shooting ability, um, but where he's at and, and how much he needs to grow. And he's that's the player. You know what? He's I don't think he's one of the original stretch fours, but he's a guy that could play the three when he was young and then transition to play the four. And I think Scal can play the three. I, I really do. I think he can be a seven footer at the three. And really do a lot of things. I think they can run a big lineup with him and Willie and Demarcus. I, someone asked me that on Twitter. I do I was wondering about that. Yeah. Well, and he played some point guard in high school, and that they were joking about having Scal run point in like yeah. the first summer league game. If he can, if he can maintain any of that handle and and do it at a high level, I would love to see that lineup because two ends of the floor, and you got Willie and Scal that can both. Probably, I don't know about Scal, but Willie can switch onto threes, and that would be intense. You know, if you're defense or you're for an, you're an offense looking at all those wings, 
Okay, well, there are two things that I'm going to point out, one that I liked and one that I didn't like about him as well, outside of the what I saw on the floor. Um, number one, I, I watched him ask to come off the floor like four or five times, and that surprised me. <laughs> that, to me, that's not okay because, like, you can put me in, a, in like, a church league and I want 40 minutes a night because that's all there is on the clock. And I don't ever want to leave the floor. I don't want I don't want my rookie wanting to ask asking to come off the floor. I want my coach to look at him and say, "Holy cow, he's exhausted. We have to get him off the floor." So that's number one. Number two, we heard about him being soft and having a personality uh, like he was. I think he was slightly bullied. Him and Calipari did not get along at all. And I, I feel like he was a little bit beat up by the process at the college level. And he talked about it when he was drafted, that one of the things he had to work on was was being stronger mentally. And my goodness, I saw that. I saw that entirely through the, the whole entire summer league. Him, like, he had an energy to him. He had a smile to him. He had, a like, a charge to him. He was cheerleading. He was off the bench. He was screaming and yelling. Anytime he did something well, he was excited. Anytime his teammates did something well, he was high-fiving. He was into it. That is a huge development because if he doesn't have the fire, then he's just like a lot of other tall, lean, athletic, Dante Green-type players that come into the league and you're like, oh, man, if he just if he just had that fire. I think Skull has that fire. And that, to me, was a really, really nice development. No boys allowed, you know? And, and the league will whoop you into shape pretty quick. And so I think, you know, when the player has promise, they have a little bit longer leash in that regard, and he has the promise. So I guess he gets a few more outs than another guy that doesn't have said promise. So from that perspective, he'll probably get a few more strikes before anything you know starts to work against him in that regard but yeah yeah i mean demarcus is gonna get him real quick <laughs> well, you know what i think it's so funny when you you look at those two picks that we've talked about the poppy Giannis pick and the skull the skull uh libcr pick and we're sitting here like oh never too high never too low you know it's just summer league it's just summer league but when you look at the two of them you're like oh boy one of them's got a lot of work and the and then the other one you're like Oh boy, that guy's got a lot of potential. So while you can't make rash judgments, you can still like, you know, see through a blurry lens what guys might look like. You can you can start to get a bigger and better picture of who well, they might be as players. You know, Tony Zipteris, who writes for us over at hoop-ball.com, he actually had a great insight. And the summer league doesn't matter, but you can figure certain things out. Like Ben McLemore's jumper. You could tell he had great form, but it was inconsistent um, and that he didn't really have the handles for a pull-up game or handles in general. And you saw that at the summer league level, and it's totally the, the, the point and the case here with him right now. That's been his bugaboo for the last three years. So you can see these things. you just it's you got to be real careful with how much you project into the future on the overall picture. Yeah, and I think while we will transition to uh, Malachi Richardson, Malachi Richardson did exactly what I think you're supposed to do in Summer League. You're supposed to be really good one game and really bad the next and really good another one and then suspect in another, and you're like, 
oh my goodness, what's going on? That is what Summer League is. That is a 19-year-old, 20-year-old kid going to Summer League and showing that he can defend Buddy Hield, and everyone's like, oh my gosh, he can defend Buddy Hield. And then another game where he can hit jumper after jumper after jumper, and you're like, oh, and then other games where you're like, man, I don't even remember seeing that guy on the floor. Did he even play? You're looking at the box score. He, he played 12 minutes. He played 18 minutes. You're like, I don't remember any of those. And so what are your initial reactions to him? I'm not convinced that he will be able to score or defend at the NBA level, but I am intrigued by what I saw, and maybe even more so than when he was drafted. I thought so, so far it's a, a positive for him in this summer league. Uh, but it just it's so easy in summer league to shake free and and get buckets They're, the defense is terrible the defense is just so god awful you know not to switch topics but like ben simmons is making these passes in summer league and people are getting all you know hot over it it's like yeah the guy that was defending the other guy turned his head and let him run for you know 5 seconds by himself and then ben simmons throws it behind his neck or something and everybody thinks this is great basketball. No, this was a very wide open pass that Ben Simmons just made. You know, and, and Malachi has been taking advantage of that. That's what you're supposed to do. I do like the, the he has a good shooting stroke, um, uh-huh. but he hasn't been making a lot of open ones as well. So you wonder, uh, you know, sometimes it like Ma- Ben McLemore, his, his form looks great. Yep. But does it go in? Well, it even McLemore percentage wise, you're like, he really shot – I mean, for a long time this season, he was above like 43% from three. And then you're like, I don't see it though. Every time he has an open shot, he misses it. And and your your thought you're, – you're left wondering, when did those well, baskets go in? He's he's the anti-J.R. Smith. You know, J.R. Smith – well, actually, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he maybe he's more like J.R. Smith. It, you, do, you do get left scratching your head because J.R. Smith only makes the ones where he's falling away with the guy's hand in his face. But if yeah. it's wide open, he misses. Um, you know, is Ben making the ones that are tough or I don't know. And also shooting at a lower volume, you're supposed to make more. That's that's one aspect of the, the yeah. game. Well, but he does shoot a high percent of his shots as three, so I don't know. And we got to see that Malachi is extremely long and he is very athletic and he can defend. He still takes ridiculously bad shots in the key. You know, like, like, wow, just look at that. You just ran in. It's almost like the old Spud Webb thing. He just runs in as fast as he can, slams into everybody, and throws up some haymaker looking for a foul every time. You're like, okay, dude, that's not going to work every time. I mean, come on. So I I just thought he'd take some really awkward, weird – again, if I I looked at him and his body style and the way he played, he reminded me of Josh Childress. There's something about his confidence level, though, that's been lacking at the shooting guard position for the Kings. I mean, I know James Anderson had unworldly confidence and uh, and all that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, no, seriously, though, um, you know, that that's man, you have to be willing to shoot. It's almost like if you shoot 39 percent from three, but the defense knows that you're taking that shot aggressively every single time. Yep. They have to get out there. Yep. And maybe they maybe they game plan it and they say. And maybe let's let's make we'll we'll double off of this guy and live with him making or missing threes. But it's just different, man. You know, a guy's going to uncork it. You're running. You're running hard on that rotation out there. It stretches the floor. So there is something to be said for that. I'll just say this coming into the draft. I'm a little bit higher now after summer league than I was coming into the draft on Malachi. All right. So so we've covered those guys. 
Uh, and all of those three have been signed to a uh, a contract. They all got their contracts today in Las Vegas. Uh, you know, the standard rookie deal, four years with a whatever your restricted free agent. The standard rookie deal, uh, which is actually going to play into the hands of the Kings uh, because they now have three first-round draft picks in the last year of this current CBA because this CBA is going to be cracked open and changed next year. And the rookie scale is probably going to jump substantially because the, uh, the salary cap number has jumped substantially and the current rookie scale is not tied to the percentage of the salary cap. So so players this year are really going to get cooked for the next four or five years. And, uh, and then when they finally are eligible for their next big payday, um, everyone's going to have spent most of their money. So they're in a bad situation, but it's kind of a good year to have a group of rookies because they're they're basically free for the next five years. And, and that's a good thing for teams. But the Kings did not, I'm trying to get to the bottom of this, but the Kings did not sign Isaiah Cousins to a contract today, which means that he's probably coming into camp on to a make good deal. Uh, two-year or three-year non-guaranteed uh, Eric Moreland type deal. Yes, a a make good deal, and I think that that's probably what I saw from him. I saw moments where I really liked him as a pull-up jump shooter, and then I saw moments where I didn't like him at all as a point guard. Uh, and there are other moments where I'm like, okay, I can kind of see it. He's he's at least ball dominant. But just because you're ball dominant doesn't mean you're a point guard. And so I was really kind of left wondering what he is after we got done with Summer League. And he's got a lot to prove. He's got a big body. He's got great athleticism. He can shoot. But I don't know that he's a lead guard in the NBA. And the Kings don't need another reserve, too. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I'm not that, not that high on him. Um... I think you've got to get out there and explore, you know, what you're doing. What, what are you doing with, with his roster slot? And by them not by him not signing, I don't know if that's indicative of anything. I just thought, you know, if you're going to – you're getting ready for summer league. I, I know guys get hurt all the time, but, you know, when you're a 58 pick in the NBA, you want to plan your training in a way that you're not hurt for summer league when you've got to show what you got. So I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm reading into it too much, but it, it was just a little bit odd. Like, this is the time you've got to make your 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 impression made, and and it just didn't happen. You know who did make that impression? I mean, just and we're not going to segue to him. We're going to stick on on Isaiah here for a minute. But Duye Dukin. Ah, uh, yeah, Duye. See, see, Duye. I, I first of all, people should know this. He is the sweetest kid ever. He is such a good dude. I absolutely love Duye. Every time he'd come back from Reno, be like, what's up, dude? You're back. And he's like, oh, man, the driving's killing me. And, you know, he is such a good kid. But he wasn't an NBA player at all last year. And people were like, why isn't Duye getting a shot? Why isn't Duye? Well, we get to Summer League, and Duye came out firing. He looks, he looks like a, a much improved player. I, I actually I sent an email over to, to Tony, who's a big Duye guy, and, and gave him his dap. Because that, if you look at, him, look at him against Houston, I think is the game he played last year, and he looked out of his element. Maybe it was nerves, but a lot of it looked like laterally he could not hang. He looks like you might, you might want to stash him in the D-League, you know, if you're, if you're a team 
and and see if you can get him, you know, to continue improving, become a stretch four in this league as as like an end of the bench guy. There was multiple times where I thought, oh, Jesus, he's going to the rack. And oh, my gosh, dudes aren't even leaving their feet and they're swatting you. And it's ugly and it's horrible. Um, I, I saw that a couple of times. But man, as as like a Brian Scalabrini uh, sit at the corner and just bury threes. And, and, you know, when you do get your number called, you got to come in and just and hit them. I thought, hey, I can see it now. And again, you don't find a nicer kid. You don't find a better teammate. Uh, well, there are a couple of guys that I, I love uh, um, who are no longer with the Kings. But uh, this is one of those guys that I thought, you know what? I see it a little bit now. I did not see it before. And I know he has worked tirelessly, tirelessly on his body and on his shooting stroke, on getting the ball off quicker. Uh, and and I, I was really impressed. I thought that as a second-year guy, he did everything in his power to earn the right to play uh, at least in the D-League and, and maybe at the end of someone's bench this year and going forward. It probably won't be Sacramento, but it's, it's possible. Um, but to get back to Isaiah Cousins... I don't know that he did, and I don't know that he did anything that made me think that he wasn't anyone that didn't need to go and really work hard at the D-League level and maybe spend a year in Europe and fight his way into the league, and that's kind of where I am with him at this point. I thought it was he played okay, but okay isn't good enough when you're the 59th pick in the draft. That's It's not okay. You have to play better than that. Yeah. And also, I mean, the other elephant in the room is, you know, Rudy Gay and his so-called trade demand. I thought that was hilarious. Um, But what are they doing? Are they bringing back a guard or what? And if they are, then I don't know, like, what kind of projection you have on an Isaiah Cousins. Is he worth that roster spot? I mean, you might want a roster spot for Duye at that point. Well, who's who's the better prospect? Really, Uh, at that point, it's Garrett Temple. It, that's see that's the problem that we have right that if you bring I'm fine in, with yeah, but but you can use Garrett Temple at the two or the three well no I and, agree but if you have a roster spot and you go out and they go out and say they they get Mario Chalmers or they trade for somebody that's spectacular and either a starter or or a backup one well Garrett Temple can play the third guard the third point guard position that's what I mean. I don't I don't I'm not saying like, oh, I want Garrett Temple for twenty minutes and I had the point guard. I'm saying that he makes Cousins a spot on the roster even more tenuous because if the Kings do get that guard that they have to get, then Garrett Temple can be the third guard behind you know, behind Collison and behind whoever. Whoever Yeah, I think they need I think they need another point guard. And I mean that's like Garrett Temple is it's great because I'm I'm high on him coming into the year and you see all of the tweets from the the Washington guys that I mean it's really you you don't see this about NBA guys a lot. All of them have said the guy that deserves the contract this offseason is Garrett Temple. What a great guy. He's taught me so much. It's all the way up and down the Washington roster. So clearly the Kings, I think you can already put that in the win column for them. I might um, you know, be going early on that, but that's kind of what I like to do. And the, they do need a point guard, though. That's, um, that's evident. So what are you doing with the Rudy Gay thing? Because there was Sean Devaney's report out of um, the Sporting News talking about this speculative – and it's, uh, to be clear, it was, his report is that multiple front office NBA executives have been talking about the uh, likelihood of a trade sending Rudy Gay – 
um, to the Clippers and then uh, Boston getting Blake Griffin and then they have their picks and basically the the pivot point on this was that Boston doesn't want to get rid of their Brooklyn picks and the um, Clippers would like a frontline guy to help them continue competing and then they'd also like some pickage. And so where that all falls, like can the Clippers extract one of the good Brooklyn picks from Boston and where do the Kings fit in all this and what do they expect to get back? Um, some crap out there about Jay Crowder. I, I don't think that's happening. <laughs> but, I don't think that's happening either. Uh, what but your, your, Avery your, Bradley could happen. I, I don't think the I don't think the Celtics are going to do that. In order I to just, get Blake Griffin, you you turn down giving up uh, Avery Bradley. Because because I, I think at that point the Kings almost become irrelevant in that discussion because the pick is valuable to, to the Clippers. Because uh, the, the, here's the thing. Clippers aren't winning anything ever. No, but the Clippers know that they have to have – they have to be competitive in order for Chris Paul to stay next summer. They know they have to be competitive. And Rudy Gay gives them a chance to be competitive, and they can sign Rudy Gay next summer to a bigger deal. They know that. Yeah, but Rudy Gay, let's be real about his place in the league. He's got one to two years tops as an above average, or if you want to even say like average. If he plays defense like he played last year, he's just average right now. Now, I think he can, he can step up his game on defense, and I'm not even talking about, about his offensive game last year because I thought George Carl ruined it. I think he can be a guy that fits what the Clippers are trying to do this year, which is placate the fans, placate Chris Paul, and placate Steve Ballmer. And, but they're not winning anything. So if they can get one of the, the picks back from Boston, I think if Rudy Gay's not a part of the deal, if the Kings try to hold it up for whatever reason for Avery Bradley, then they just go and find an equivalent to Rudy Gay out there that fits the kind of veteran – keep us in the ballpark description that Rudy Gay is fitting for them. He's but not Rudy Gay's not coming in there and, and bringing them anything like game changing. No, no, no. But I don't think there is a huge amount of Rudy Gay type players available right now in the NBA. Mm, you'd be, I, I think Rudy Gay right now is in the ballpark of a top 75 NBA player. Okay. But, but my point is that puts him as like a, number three option a really good number two on a decent team uh a third option on a playoff team that still puts him in as one of your top three players on a team i I think if you're going to offer one of boston's picks up and i don't have them up in front of me right now i think that you could probably find like the pick that the kings would get and the question i mean if they can get avery bradley then the kings just hit a major home run even with avery bradley's injury history and Whatnot, but Avery Bradley's a really good basketball player. Like well, yeah, he is, but, he's mean, like a top five defender at his position, and he had a great offensive season last year, and he's got a great contract. I don't think it, I, I mean I'd be shocked if the Kings got Avery Bradley. In fact, if the Kings got Avery Bradley, go into the streets and celebrate, people, because you just fleeced the, the deal. Well, yeah, but if you look at it, not really. Every team in that deal would actually make out. If if Rudy Gay goes to the Clippers and they get one of the Nets picks, that's equal value for for not Blake, for the Celtics. For Blake Griffin. Not Celtics the- get Blake Griffin. And now they've got Al Horford and and Blake Griffin 
and all it cost him was Avery Bradley, one of their rotational players, but not Jay Crowder and not Isaiah Thomas. And they still have a bevy of guards. They still have a, a young up and coming, you know, wing that they can develop. And, and so I think we could see it where every team in that deal actually makes out. The Kings give up a higher end player on a on a decent contract for next year for a long-term fix with Avery Bradley which again the Celtics aren't going to not the Celtics would give up that Avery Bradley and a top-tier pick in order to get Blake Griffin this the Clippers would take Rudy Gay and a top-tier pick to give away Blake Griffin and the Kings would give up Rudy Gay in order to get a younger not nearly as good on the hierarchy guard that fits a need and and fills a hole for long term. So I think it works for all three teams. Yeah, I'm just saying like I think that they that the Celtics would not have to relinquish Avery Bradley in this particular deal and they could still get in this theoretic framework. And yeah, theoretically, I mean, because that's what we are talking about. Yeah, it's <laughs> I think all theoretically. Because the Clippers, the Clippers need to get rid of Blake Griffin. Like, if you let him and you let this whole thing dissolve without getting something big, namely the Brooklyn pick from Boston, I, I think you're you're crazy. And also, if you're the Boston Celtics, and right now you have a team that can theoretically compete, and it's going to change. It'll fall apart in three years. This team will be different. All teams are. Yeah, And so you have some lightning in a bottle right now. And if you add Blake Griffin to that equation with Al Horford and those defensive guards, another reason you don't want to give up these guys is without them, then your compelling reason to give an asset for a declining player in Blake Griffin, who face it, his athleticism has declined every single year for the last three years. He's moving further and further away from the hoop. This, his ability to, to make plays on the post will diminish because he doesn't have great technique down there. This guy is going to his I would almost say his best years are behind him pretty damn confidently. So, yeah, I think he's right at the peak and he's he's he may hold on to the peak for another season and then we'll start seeing small declines. But yes, I'm, I'm with you, especially so after like, the injuries it, of last year. If, if you're not swinging for the fences here to get him, why are you getting him? And that's kind of the whole conversation of the league right now with the Warriors is. Why would anybody swing for the fences in the next two years, knowing what the Warriors have going, or even the next three to four? But if we are, I'm looking at that particular lineup that has already gone into to Golden State and won a regular season game, I might add, uh, without a Blake Griffin or an Al Horford. But you've got compelling options at every position. You have one of the best pick-and-roll players in the league in Isaiah Thomas. You've got two defensive players in Avery Bradley and Jay Crowder, as well as if you want to add Marcus Smart to the equation. You've got that. Maybe the Celtics want to get rid of Marcus Smart. I don't know. Um, I, the Kings wouldn't do that deal for Marcus Smart. And if they did... Rudy, I, Rudy Gay for Marcus Smart? I, I don't think so. Oh, my God. I'd do it in a second. I, you don't even have to ask me. And I'm, I'm not that high on Marcus Smart. Ugh. I'm I, not that... I, put it this way. Marcus Smart is a defensive game changer. And he had some great moments in the playoffs. Like, I would trade him straight up for Rudy Gay... But he shoots less than 35% from the field. Not from three, from the you know field. He, let's, let's He's say, Ricky he Rubio, has, who doesn't pass. And I, so, but but does R- Ricky Rubio cannot lock a guy down. No, but way. he can lead the league in steals, which might be almost as valuable. Possessions. He steals possessions. You know what? Steals is a misleading stat for me. I need you to stay in front of your guy because I don't want to be worried about my backline help 
And that's something that this defensive uh, front for the, the Celtics has been able to put together. Because when you put Jay Crowder at the four, now you can stick any sort of defensive combination out there that you want. And Blake Griffin's lack of rim protection and some of his defensive deficiencies, they go away on this team. They, they get covered up for it. So my point being is the Boston Celtics can have a puncher's chance at definitely beating Cleveland. And, and if you want to talk about a team that could match up defensively against the Warriors, they're the, they're the team. And now they've got some of the offensive issues worked out because you add now Horford, you add a Blake Griffin. It's not just Isaiah Thomas versus the world, which has been the problem with the Celtics in the playoffs is there's only one real scorer on that team. I totally so, agree. And so I think this trade made a lot of sense, even though it's theoretic and it's, you know, Sean Devaney's reporting what he's hearing from lots and lots of people. Yep. So I just think that, you know, the Kings, if they said, you know what, we're, we're holding out for Avery Bradley, I just think they're, they're going to turn and go to, go to somebody else and, you know, offer something else. And I'm looking at their, their draft picks here. You know, 2019 first round draft pick from the Clippers, 2019 first round draft pick from Memphis. You know, these could be in that Rudy Gay range, and I don't know the protections on these things, but, the you know, The Kings that aren't 15... giving up Rudy Gay without a player back. They want a rotational player back. And they, yeah, but the, you know what? I want, I want Michael Jordan in his prime to come play for my pickup team. No, but a rotational <laughs> player means a top eight player. That It doesn't mean they're asking for... It doesn't mean they're asking for Isaiah oh, Thomas back in no, 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 yeah. If they... That's kind of what I said. A veteran... Not in this cast, but other place. A veteran of comparable ilk to Rudy Gay that might need a change of scenery. I don't know that Boston really has that, though. I mean, what are we talking about? Jonas, Jonas Jerebko? Like, no, I mean, that's I mean, like, not worth that's, it, though. I mean, no, the Kings I know, don't but, make that trade if, unless you're... And again... But I, if the Kings get Avery Bradley, Kings fans should go flood J Street and go, go pummel the local economy with requests for alcohol because it will be the biggest fleecing that I've seen in years. Like, that is a great pickup for the Kings. If they get Avery Bradley, yeah, I but, mean, the I shooting mean, guard position has been figured out. If you're looking at Boston, though, Boston would much prefer to dump Avery Bradley than Jay Crowder. Oh, well, because they're sitting on a gold mine, though. Well, both I mean, of them. Both of them are, are great under reasonable contracts forever. But the fact is, if you want Blake Griffin and the Clippers still want to compete— you have to give them something, and that's something. If the Kings are involved in that deal, that something is Rudy Gay, and you don't get Rudy Gay for nothing uh, to the Clippers, and you have to give up something. If I you mean, could a get... top pick for Blake Griffin, that's not going to work. That's not enough. But Blake Griffin's not a top 10 NBA player. He's not a top 20 NBA player. For that, he's a top 10 marketing marketability uh, player, and he's a guy who comes in and instantly changes the dynamic of your team and makes you a better team. I, I think that the Clippers have quite a bit of leverage here, and I think that they're going to exercise that leverage to get at least one of one the get a Brooklyn pick, and then something else on top of it in the in the form of a first round pick in another year. Something else is going to come to to the Clippers in that deal because you don't give up Blake Griffin without getting. I mean, we're talking like a, a top whatever pick, top three pick maybe from Brooklyn probable top three pick yep and a good draft but that's and, and, three years from now but even that, that is, is i mean there's anything. A, i mean what are we what are we talking about here hashim to could be your your return on your investment <laughs> it, it's, it happens every year no i so, totally i mean agree. i think I, yeah. that the, the clippers are going to want two bullets in that gun to, to say we want we'll, we'll take the the gold and the top three pick which usually is gold and then maybe something else and they have the leverage because blake griffin does give the celtics that 
the, the purpose of their whole exercise of stockpiling these assets was to be able to take a shot at a championship, not see these assets kind of just expire. Yeah, but then you're watching Chris Paul walk out the door for nothing next summer. I mean, that, that's uh, it. I, he, he leaves and you're done. You're like, and now the Clippers are starting over with, I mean, they're the Lakers, but two years behind them. And yeah, but they you've can't got, have that either. You've got Steve Ballmer and, and, and not the other guy, the old guy. Well, yeah, yeah, but you're still, I mean, if you lose him, you're DeAndre Jordan and nothing else. That's all you well, but have. That, but, that's the, but the Clippers are eroding as a, as a basketball team. I mean, they'll be competitive this year, but they're not winning anything with that core. Well, they're and, like the Dallas Mavericks, though. They're going to keep spending on ridiculous players that don't make any sense for their team because they want to stay relevant and stay in the, in the press. And that's I mean, what I'm saying is that they aren't a team that's going to start over. They would start over with a young player and a player like Rudy Gay to go with what they already have because it doesn't make them that much worse. I think getting Rudy Gay is a fine way to placate the owner, the point guard, and the fans and to give this group one puncher's chance at, you know, a 3% chance that, you know, heaven forbid something happens to a Golden State Warrior 3. There's a way for them to get into the game and be in the game. And, and so, yeah, I get it. I, I understand the logic there. Um, but, you know, from from the Kings perspective, I, I just think that if you can get like, say you get one of these like 2018 first round picks or a 2019 first round picks. That's from one not of these, enough to take a step back like they would. If you're if you're getting rid of Rudy Gay, I don't think. I mean, you, he's a good basketball player, don't get me wrong, but the Kings aren't winning anything anytime soon. That was a question I was going to ask you. Why, why try to be good? I, I understand being good and what it does for your franchise and attracting free agents and changing culture, but what is the downside? Or what, how much are you losing with Rudy Gay, and what are you gaining in, a, in terms of a future asset? If you could get a first-round pick from one of these teams, that especially like the, the 20 18 or 2019 pardon me first round pick from the clippers 2019 first round pick from memphis what happens if memphis slides and i and what happens if they don't what if those are a 25th pick and you gave up a 25th pick two for two years or a year it's it's not even just waiting next year you have to wait a year after that yeah but you get get a 2019 first round pick from memphis and it's protected here for one through eight in 2019 and one through six in 2020. And then it's unprotected in 2021. I'm, I'm about the long, I'm a long-term investment guy. Give me the yeah. first round pick. And in five years, when we have the potential to be good, can you imagine if the Kings took a, just a normal gra- graduated growth, you know, became an eight seed, a seven seed, a six seed. The only way you do that, you're looking at a 31-year-old DeMarcus Cousins. That's the, you just can't do it. You can't do I, it. I'm with if you that's on that's the path that you're in. I mean, I get what you're saying. That's a future asset. But first of all, I never give up my second leading scorer who's 29 years old and can still play basketball for a very, very future. Then I need to get a blood, a blood oath from that guy that he's going to D up. That's <laughs> I, I need a blood oath from you that you're going to be Rudy Gay from his early Memphis days. I, I like, get that. I get that. Because right, otherwise right. it ain't happening. I'm, so, I'm going to give me a 2034 first round pick and, it's, and, and I'm happy. All right. We, we differ on this. I, I want a rotational player. <laughs> and I don't think that, uh, that the, the Celtics hold up that deal because of Avery Bradley. A- and for that matter, Avery Bradley and a future 
a future first round pick that from the Nets or whatever. Hold a parade if they get Avery Bradley. I, I I'm just saying if they could do something like that, then I think that the Kings are in it. The Kings are shopping him hard. They're trying to come up with a rotational fix, a rebalance of the roster, which means that from what I can tell, they're willing to go into next season with Aaron Aflalo as a part time small forward. Matt Barnes, Omri Caspi, Garrett Temple, all of them playing the, the part-time small-time forward spot, uh, small forward spot, and so they're going to do it by committee at that spot, and, and so that's what I'm seeing right now. But I, I, I don't know. I, they have to swing a deal. They, they can't go into the season with the roster that they have right now. And just like how the Boston Celtics are, if the Kings get rid of Rudy Gay, they have no second score at all. That at I mean, your second scorer might be Darren Collison, and that's when he's healthy, and that's your point guard. And that's, I mean, when he's available, and and that might not even be anytime soon. So, I mean, these are things that you have to consider, that the Kings losing Rudy Gay lose their number two option. And while other teams could say, well, you're going to lose him next year anyways when he opts out and he leaves, it's still, that doesn't matter. you You still need to get something of value back for Rudy Gay. You can't dump him for two years from now draft pick for a team that could be better and could be a 25th pick or a 27th pick. And you're like, Oh boy, we got nothing and we had to wait two years to get it. And then even if we, we use it as an asset, it's still a, a first round pick in the, in the mid twenties is such a crapshoot, And it's still a year or two away from developing. So that's like a four year process for Rudy Gay. And I don't see the Kings doing it. The Boston Celtics are a fun team to talk trades with because I would I would take Marcus Smart in a heartbeat. I mean, you're not expecting a lot, but man, defensively, who if he could ever develop a jump shot, that kid, ooh, yeah, but would... he, can he develop anything offensively? That's the problem. I mean, it's not just a jump shot; it's anything offensively. Because at this point, he is absolutely atrocious offensively. I wouldn't go atrocious. I'd go needs to get consistency. He shot and... like thirty four point eight percent from the field. That's he was shooting, he was shooting mostly threes, though, because he doesn't have the off-the-dribble game that he does against inferior players. But also, keep in mind, Isaiah Thomas is there to do that because he's much better at it. So when you shoot a lot of threes, your percentages can get pretty bad. And he's not shooting threes at a breakneck place, or a pace, if I recall correctly. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, folks. But that's, Yeah, he's shooting threes at 25.3%. I, and, I, and I recollected correctly. Yeah, he shoot. <laughs> so what I'm saying is that is an inept offensive player, and I don't I don't see the Kings doing that deal for a guy who who has he has some upside, but he is an inept offensive player at this point. I mean, realistically, he's at this point in his career. You take him and Ben McLemore's numbers, you put them together, and neither one of them are are NBA starters or they're back into the rotation guys. And you I would hope that I would he develops, do. But, I'd do the Marcus Smart for Rudy Gay. Interesting. All right, yeah. so so let's move on. We got a couple of things I want to get to. Before. Oh, we got more. Uh, just uh, one quick thing. Good luck to Quincy AC. Talk about a great dude. Absolutely love Quincy AC. Very happy for him to sign a two-year deal in Dallas, which is much, much, much closer to home. Um, he's a Baylor guy, and so I'm glad to see him land in a soft spot. I think the Kings probably should have retained Quincy AC. Uh, he's a great locker room guy, but just so people know, there's a big difference between a great locker room guy who doesn't make any waves and who's friends with everyone and a great locker room guy like 
like Tolliver who comes in and has a presence and changes things and demands stuff and from his teammates and is is an elder statesman and while Quincy AC is a great teammate and he's a bunch of awesome things which I totally love he's not Tolliver yet and so they kind of traded out one guy who has a bigger voice for a guy who while he's a great teammate it it's just he's not a presence on that side I mean he's a presence but he's not going to be a difference maker in the locker room which we're hearing Tolliver will be um, so that's number one. We didn't even talk about Seth Curry leaving last week. Good luck to Seth Curry. Again, those two are teaming up in Dallas. Uh, good kid. No one should be freaking out because Seth Curry didn't sign a deal. He's Ike Diagu. He's, he's a lot of other guys that have come through and uh, Terrence Williams blown up in the last two weeks of the season and earned good money somewhere else. And until he proves otherwise, that's what he is. He's, he's a very nice story. He's not like a, oh my gosh, we just lost a season because Seth Curry signed somewhere else. So those two guys gone. Um, I don't know. Do you have any other, anything else? Yeah, quickly on both those guys. I'm actually going to take a little bit of a different viewpoint on Curry. I'm going to basically say that I thought he, A, deserved a little bit more money and I'm not willing to rule him out as, you know, I think his ceiling's probably super sub six man. And I, I think that he could in a place like Dallas really thrive like in, in terms of his, his scope and what he can bring to the table. So I'm not really willing to write him off, but at the same time, I'm also not, I'm not sure how these guys got so little money. Quincy AC should get more than whatever. He got the minimum, right? Yeah, um, he got the minimum. I don't understand it, this. This market it, was so strange. Well, I think out. it's weird because the Kings, the, 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 a lot of decision makers do the same thing we do. We read papers and we, you know, then we rely or not we, but they rely on scouts and we, what we see out of Sacramento is so different as it gets portrayed in the media one way by the big kind of brick and mortar outlets. And what folks read is, you know, probably not that all that complimentary, I guess, of a Quincy AC and a Seth Curry, because it, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense when you watch Quincy AC play, there's something to work with there. If he's getting that money, there should have been 30 teams offering him that money. I totally agree. I so I don't get that. Well, I think he goes home. I think, you know, there wasn't big offers out there, and I think he goes home. Uh, again, I, I love Quincy AC. I think he's a great kid. Yeah, but um, if you're the Brooklyn Nets, why not throw him an extra mil or extra three yeah, mil? Yeah, three million I just a year don't to go start for you at the power forward spot? I could uh, see that. It, I mean, it just So I think there's something to be said for the way that players get portrayed coming out of Sacramento, the way that decision makers read their values coming out of Sacramento. We've seen it. Look at Isaiah Thomas. You know, like, yeah. come on, you can't have 30 teams miss that bad without that. There, there being something to that element of how the press covers the team. I don't know. That's right. All right. So that's going to do it for this edition of the CSN Kings Insider podcast. Aaron, do you have any final thoughts? Are you good? I'm great. I'm going to go head up to Tahoe now and we will smell you later. Uh, excellent. Excellent. I'm going to go get on the water in my pontoon boat. That's right. I'll be floating on the water in a pontoon boat. So for Aaron Bruski, I am James Ham. Thank you for tuning in to the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. We'll be back next week. Have a safe and enjoyable summer avoiding the heat. <laughs>